Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And now, are you effing kidding me with JoJo from Juries? Well, here we go again. In case you missed it, and if you blinked, you might have missed it, the same MAGA morons and all their finest musketry and merch who tried in abject futility to join up with the Canadian COVID protest convoy of 2020 have once again embarked on a pilgrimage of pointlessness as they descend, although it's really more of like an RV slow roll, upon the Texas border. As we all know, Ma and Pamega are perpetually aggrieved over some inherently racist manufactured threat to them. And as a result of the latest border crisis crap, they have now set a course for the Rio Grande, just as the insult brigade of bravely masked white nationalists chant in their adorable matching Best Buy meets Bad Boy Best. They're on their way to defend the border. That's what they're going to do. Just don't ask them from what or who or to show you exactly where. But they're on their way because it's under attack. And Greg Abbott is making a stand. A stand against the Biden administration and them libtard socialist Marxist communists and the checks notes woke Supreme Court. Damn it, that godly man wants to let brown women and children drown because they had the audacity to try to come to this country the same way my mommy and pappy did? Well, then, them leftists just need to leave him alone and let him do it. All the razor wire he needs, okay? That's America, y'all, and that's what we're fighting for. I mean, that's pretty much where we're at, right? So... They have gassed up their F-150s and minivans in places like who the hell knows what actually goes on here, Oklahoma, and far corners of red states that are no the fuck where near the border. They've stocked up with necessary life-sustaining provisions like Cool Ranch Doritos, Jolt Cola, Slim Jims, chewing tobacco, and corn nuts. They've stuffed all the MAGA merch they can get into their suitcases and glove compartments and what, everything else, armrests. And they're on their way to find kindred spirits and other great big crybabies just like them. Who, just like them, don't like they, them, those people who are coming here to take 
their jobs, their homes, their schools, their wives, their their way of life. No, it's true. No one has ever actually taken any of that from them. At least no one who didn't work for the bank or they called boss. But that ain't relevant. That ain't the point. Because this here is a war. A war for their America. And that don't look like the lady on their favorite hot sauce. So they're going to go down there and they're going to, they're going to, what are they going to, they're going to honk, I guess? Well, eventually anyway, they got to get there first. So in the meantime, they're going to stop a couple random places and set up camps in like truck stop parking lots and have some random STD spreading, likely very, very off-putting sex spread conspiracy theories too, um, play unfortunate covers of Sweet Home Alabama, get really high and really drunk, piss themselves, and brag about how their government assistance check helped them buy their new fully loaded mobility scooter, the one they're planning on using to attack the border or something like that. Anyway, you can find more of that conversation from me on my Substack. Are you effing kidding me, Substack? Um, and let's get to today's guest in the meantime. This week, I had the pleasure of being joined by my very, very, very good friend, Mike Madrid. Mike Madrid is a veteran political consultant who's best known as a data and analytics expert for campaigns. He's one of the country's authoritative experts on Latino voters and a co-founder of the Lincoln Project. He's a graduate of Georgetown University. He served as the press secretary for the California Assembly Republican leader, as the political director for the California Republican Party, and as senior advisor to campaigns of both Democrats and Republicans. Hispanic Business Magazine named him one of the country's most influential Hispanics, he is a partner in Grassroots Lab, a political consulting firm in California, and he is the author of the forthcoming book, The Latino Century, How America's Largest Minority is Shaping Democracy. I'm one of the biggest fans of Mike Madrid probably there is on the planet. <laughs> He's an incredible person. He's been an incredible friend to me for many years. I'm really lucky to be able to say that. He's so smart. He's so articulate. He knows his shit. He's passionate about all of this. And I'm just really lucky to be able to share his insight and his fight for democracy with all of you. Um, he's literally a patriot and he believes in the promise of America just like I do. Um, and he understands it's a work in progress and that democracy is a daily practice just like I do. And even though we disagree on some of the principles that used to separate Republicans and Democrats, um, we agree very much so wholeheartedly on protecting this democracy and fighting, fighting for it. And that we are in a moment where that is exactly what we all need to be doing. So I 
really, really enjoyed this conversation. I hope you do too. I am sure that you will. Um, please, if you feel it, you know, do the like and subscribe thing, download all the stuff that the kids say these days. <laughs> but um, yeah, anyway, enjoy. See you guys next time. Welcome to the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast to my dear, dear, dear friend, Mike Madrid. Mike, hi. Joe, great to be with you. America's sweetheart. It's wonderful to be. Uh, I think I think this is your first recording since you made national headlines uh, by your appearance on SNL. And I'm so honored to be here with you. So honored to know you. And like I said, America's sweetheart. How's that feel? <laughs> If I'm America's sweetheart, America needs uh, to try and find a better dating app or something because I am no sweetheart. We got Julia Roberts. I'm content with that. Um, I am no sweetheart and nobody should think confuse me with that. But whatever I am, apparently, don't know how. I'll never know how. I will never probably know how. I was on SNL, uh, air, not even a parody. I was just like furniture, but I was played by Dakota Johnson and it's so I can't imagine. That's got to be a little bit surreal. I think this is the first time I've met anybody who's been on SNL, right? Yeah. Like that's a rarity in and of itself. And, and Saturday Night Live is American pop culture. And it's just, it's great to see you kind of in there in the mix with, you know, at the tip of the tongue of everybody is, you know, from Timberlake to Fallon to to America. You're America's sweetheart. I'm on the tip of America's tongue. That's hot. <laughs> like America. <laughs> Thank you. You've yeah. hit the spot. Yeah. Several times. Um, Justin Timberlake. <laughs> At least. That, that's why you are who you are. That's why America loves you, right? So, someone's got to do it. It's like a public service. Um, but now that I know also I've been on the tip of Justin Timberlake and Jimmy Fallon's tongues, it's like all that happened at once. I don't know if they realize that we've been to that that place together. So I feel like we should have dinner. At least they owe me a drink, right? If they're going to go that far and be putting me on the tips of their tongues. Not only, well, actually, you could make the argument that I was on the tips of their tongues and the Bee Gees, one living and one no longer living, because I think the Robin, Robin's dead, right? I think. I'm going to let you make that, uh, draw that analogy. I'm just going to give you a leash. Keep going, because I'll, I'll get in trouble for saying this stuff, so you just keep going. <laughs> I'm not going to stop. Mike knows me. I don't have much of a stop feature. Yeah, I just kind of, yeah. Keep going. Yeah, my the gas. Keep going. My safe word is keep going. Yeah. So- <laughs> Yeah, the beach, a dead BG had me on the tip of his tongue. Um, but yeah, no. <laughs> that's a great bumper sticker. Dead BG had me on the tip of his tongue. It's gonna be a trivia question someday. Which dead BG went down on Joe? <laughs> Sorry. Oh <my> God. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. This one is a political podcast. This is not why I was invited on the show. Sorry. Was it? I'm taking advantage of you now. This is how I do. Once I go down the rabbit hole. But actually, okay, when we just shift gears, yes, that was surreal. It's still surreal. Um, the reason I think that maybe I was on there is because people know me now for having these conversations, very serious ones, because I kissed my character, not character, but I was very serious in my beginning of an answer. And that will be a segue to my first question to you, which is actually very serious in nature and, and incredibly horrible and horrifying and sad. Um, and that's the story you tweeted about this just uh, earlier today. The story I think that was last night or month broke yesterday of a Pennsylvania man beheading his federal employee father and 
made a video with the decapitated head of his father in which he called for a revolution against the Biden regime and fight to fight the army of illegal immigrants. And so you tweeted a massive swath of Americans have been radicalized. There are the, uh, there are domestic terror cells that are being activated. And I want to talk about that. I want to talk about what you meant by that. Um, I want to talk about the rhetoric that got him there and the connection between the two and how people who are passing off um, Trump's rhetoric as, you know, oh, they're just the musings you can't take seriously. He's always been like this. How dangerous that is. So I guess we'll start start with, yeah, what you tweeted and what you meant by what you tweeted. Well, look, I think it's really important that people come to terms with the fact that we are in the midst of a, of a great global conflict. I, I, and I, I hesitate to say war, but I have also said our world is at war because warfare in this new century, in this digital age, is going to look very different than it did when we're watching, you know, black and white footage of World War II with the Germans and the, you know, Russians and, you know, landing on, on Normandy's beach on D-Day. That's That's not the way this war is going to look. It's going to be a war of disinformation and currency manipulation and dividing each other's countries internally. And if you have not been paying attention, th- there are four fronts to this war. We're obviously watching what's happening in Ukraine. We're watching daily the Middle East kind of devolve into this conflict. Everybody's concerned about the specter of the of China and Taiwan and the South China Sea. But what we're talking about here, Joe, is the fourth front, which is here internally in the United States. There's no question there are a lot of organic factors that have driven our division as Americans over the course of the last 25, 30 years, obviously longer. But there's also no question that a lot of these divisions are being fomented by disinformation, purpose disinformation, psychological uh, warfare and communication strategies that are meant to radicalize different elements of our society against ourselves. This is the only way our enemies can be victorious. And what we're watching is the activization of these radicalized elements. And while it has been happening for some time, these mass shootings happen with certain demographics, right? We're starting to watch this become more and more commonplace. And as we get closer to this election, the rhetoric that's being used on the campaign trail by Donald Trump and the Republicans combined with the right-wing echo chamber are designed to uh, incite violence and incite this type of behavior. These are domestic terror cells. This is what the FBI has been warning us about for many years is the biggest threat to our country's stability is internal. It's not external. Which is interesting because I think it was Lincoln. Someone said, someone smarter than me many, many years ago, that that would be the, the you know, our downfall essentially would come from within and not from with, beyond our borders. And that is what you're looking at right now. And um, it, it it seems like, if it seems like it's probably for a reason, this is very much echoing what we've seen in authoritarian movements in the past in terms of ratcheting up this the violence, the disinformation, the stoking of division. Um, it's not an accident that Trump is using the Hitler's language, you know, of this vermin and poisoning the blood. And I talked to Peter Strucker a while back, and he said what you just said, um, that what he's seeing now with MAGA very much looks like what he's seen with groups like ISIS in terms of the radicalization. Yeah. What we saw on January 6th was that as well. 
and they need this, right? Like they, the, the violence, the violence helps them get into power despite it's like the tyranny of the minority, despite the fact that the majority doesn't actually want us to be with them. Yeah, look, I, I want people to kind of take a step back as they're listening to this and realize that this is this is bigger than just Republicans versus Democrats, although that's what it is. It's bigger than authoritarianism versus you know democracy, although that's what it is. This is part of a larger global conflict. These are actors. A lot of these nefarious actors on the right are not doing this for ideological purposes. They're doing it because they are allies, whether they're paid, whether they're conscripted or whether they're true believers in our enemy's cause, which is to disrupt America, to bring down its global hegemony and to actually destabilize us as a regime. We have Texas calling for civil war. Like those are the signs are there. They're all over. I mean, history is not just rhyming now. It's screaming at us saying this is what's happening. This is what's happening. And as we get closer to the election and as Trump's desperation becomes more desperate, which is never a good place for somebody to be in, the calls for violence are going to get more aggressive, not just from him. And again, I don't believe he's leading this charge. He may be in our political vernacular, but there are millions of messages going to this radicalized subgroup of Americans. And it's not small. It's very large to start doing all of the things that this young, twisted man did to his father uh, just just yesterday. His, all His whole manifesto is basically a screed from Fox News. This is a fifth column of illegal immigrants coming to invade our country. This is an army. You know, this is a deep state. His father worked for the federal government, so he's part of this deep state trying to bring down the country. Patriots need to rise up and take this back. I mean, it's it's frightening um, in insofar that it's deep, deeply embedded into this demographic, and it's why we're seeing, like, look, in the last 72 hours, we saw two brothers in New York who were arrested with an enormous amount of hardware, huge military cash, anti-government sentiment. We saw just uh, 48 hours ago, we saw a man driving, was arrested in Michigan, driving uh, with his uh, GPS sets to the White House, leaving screed saying he was going to go kill Joe Biden with with weapons, heavy weapons in his car. I miss like, that. This, these are not coincidences. This is, this is happening for a reason, and it's right. what the federal... Bureau of Investigation has been warning us about is these cells and these cells are not going to look like ISIS. Okay. They're not going to, they're going to look like the people that we're seeing being arrested for this. They're these, you know, white 20 something men mm -hmm. who are isolated and spending hours on their uh, uh, technology platforms being radicalized. Yeah. They're, they're constantly primed and prodded and poked and incited. And then they're, Primed for war all the time, and then they're armed to the teeth. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That whole combination is this, I mean, they're not all going to be beheadings. I mean, that was, that is very, 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 very extreme, but there, you know, the woman with the pride flag, I'll never forget in California, she was she was shot and killed because of a disagreement over a pride flag, because I feel like they're they're always like you said, there are hundreds and hundreds of these messages that we're seeing kind of like them just poke with all day long every day. It's they them, those people, they are coming for your like existential threat to your existence. And it's there's a war, a war, a war at the border. And I make jokes like I make those Civil War letters like from, you know, to whatever, where they're, you know, arming themselves with Doritos and stuff. But it's not actually funny. It's really fucking terrifying, right? I mean, it, and we can make it funny sometimes. Yeah, part, and look, humor, and this is, I think, why you become America's sweetheart, is, is humor, humor is a very important feature of surviving these times. Because if you constantly look at the many threats, and there are many threats facing us as not just a country, not just as a republic, but as as a species, humor is is the best tool we have to help us cope with and solve the problems. I'm I'm not a fatalist, by the way. I am quite actually very optimistic about where we're heading and where we're going in the long term. Yeah. But I've made no secrets about the fact that it's going to be very difficult getting there. I think we're going to be a better people for it. The way we've always come out of better people after our struggles and our fights, because you know, virtue in a society comes through struggle, and we're struggling right now, mm. right? And but but humor, this is where you know the Lincoln Project, where where you and I you know first met, started you know uh, interacting on 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 some of the content that we were putting out. The Lincoln Project humor is extremely important in these yeah. times, and it's also it's important to you know make fun of the fascist, make fun of the dictator, make fun of these movements because it allows people to move from being paralyzed by fear into having the strength to take concerted action. And that's what you need to push back. Yeah. We have to remember we're not we're not a minority here. We're the majority. Right. Right. A good number. Okay. They're trying to use the tactics of about a third of the population to bring this down. And the only the best tool, the really the only usable tool they have is is fear mm-hmm. to incite fear to make it look like they're bigger than they are. And it's why humiliation, ostracization, humor bring them back down to who they really are. Oh, my God. I love all of what you just said. And it is so true and so important. And I think I want to sort of like dissect it a little bit because the the humor component of it. I mean, we see John Stewart coming back. Right. To do the Daily Show for this year. And I cannot express how important I think that is because just to your point, it's like it helps us. It helps us get through it and not succumb to it. But it also it's digestible pieces. It's like I can do this because I can do this with a bite full of or a spoonful of sugar. You know what I mean? Like I can get through it because it's hard. It's so scary. You said we're going through some hard times right now. And we have people who are stewarding us through that with a little bit of levity. And hopefully I can do that sometimes, you know, hopefully. But that is the goal. But um, but also this this hopefulness. I want to get back to that, too, because because you said we are the majority and there's a hopefulness um, I want to get into because it doesn't feel like that for a lot of people right now. A lot of people are like, oh, it's doom and gloom and I can't believe Trump's back and I don't want to engage with any of this and it's so depressing. But you 
you will have your finger on the pulse of the mood, but you also look at numbers and you look at history and you look at facts. And by the way, the fact that you and I are such good friends and we come from completely opposite ends of the spectrum is also hopeful. And that I ever agree with Liz Cheney is also hopeful. The fact that the poll you sent me today, that the largest percentage of people who were polled said that the saving democracy was the number one issue is hopeful. But like, talk to me, please, about why you feel the numbers reflect the reason to be hopeful as well. Yeah. So and look, I've been saying this since the, to me, the look and, and okay, we, <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we, we've been we've known each other for four years. You know, we're talking about, you know, the Biden's beating Trump in 2020. That was obviously a, a very, very consequential election, probably the, the biggest in 150 years. What I was looking at from the data perspective, though, was the 2022 midterms, because that that electorate, the actual people voting, were going to be it was going to be a smaller electorate. It was going to be an older electorate, more Republican electorate, more a whiter electorate. All of those are data points that say the Republicans should do really well, especially with Biden's and the, the the confidence in the economy not not doing particularly well. The fact that Democrats basically held it to a tie, mm-hmm. it was extraordinary, and it tells us that Republicans are moving away from the Republican Party. And that's that's the metric that I've been really focused on. And it's why I was looking at Iowa's results and New Hampshire's results with Nikki Haley. Nikki Haley's not going to win. Sorry, folks, if anybody's holding out. Donald Trump will win the nomination. But what, what Haley's um, continuing presence in the Republican Party is giving us really good, clean data on how many Republicans are truly anti-Trump. And when that number starts to hit 10, 11, 12, 13, and it's sitting at about a 15 right now, Trump is in deep electoral trouble, like deep. Okay. The question becomes, why has Biden been sagging? Why is he behind in six states and blah, 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 blah. And what I was was sharing with you is, you know, in late fall, early you know, winter here, right after the first of the year, right after New Hampshire, Biden's numbers are going to start inching upwards. And the reason is because the race moves from the abstract to the existential. What we're seeing with a lot of Biden's weaknesses right now is that people are they're generally dissatisfied. Things are expensive. Things aren't affordable. Don't like what's happening with the Afghanistan pullout or, you know, I don't like the way he might look old or feeble or whatever. But when you put an actual race before people and the more it becomes clear that this is going to be Trump versus Biden, all those people start coming home. Mm-hmm. They start coming home strong, Right. And so, look, there's going to be a lot of hand wringing. The old Obama guys used to call it the bedwetting, right? About, you know, what, what's this going to mean for, you know, uh, you know Muslims in, in Detroit, Michigan? What does this mean for Latinos on the border issue? What does this mean for blah, 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 blah? I'm not going to say that those are extraordinarily important issues and they aren't having some impact. But when people have to actually make a choice, the choice between Joe Biden and Donald Trump, there's no choice. And that's what you're starting to see in the numbers. So, I'm not saying that the you know, the Quinnipiac poll just came out. You're starting to see the averages start to tighten up. Biden's numbers are getting much better with independents. Democrats are starting to come home. The stronger Trump gets in the primary, the stronger Biden's going to get in the polling. And that's going to be the battle and uh, the fundamentals. A lot's going to change between now and November. But I would much rather be Joe Biden right now, much rather than Donald Trump in a fair, honest election. Now we can talk about that later, right. but it, but but in a straight up straight up electoral contest, I would much much rather be Joe Biden. And I've been saying this for for a couple of years. Even though the polling has been bad, I'm not worried about any of that. All of that all of that is correctable and fixable. 
And, you know, Biden's made the moves to bring the adults into the campaign and start running things a little bit more structured and disciplined. The timing is right and they know what they're doing. Yeah, I I think you're right. And I and I, I so appreciate your wisdom and your the insight on this because you've been doing this for what three decades plus now. Easy, easy. <laughs> I was a zygote, I will say, <laughs> when you started. Uh no, for real. I mean, I, the thing is I, I always say this about um <laughs> anything that makes me scared or nervous or that freak out panic Joe. It's like when I'm on an airplane and I and there's turbulence and, and my dad always told me because he flew like every fucking day of his life. Don't worry. Just look at the flight attendants. If the flight attendants are calm, you should be calm. And you are my flight attendant, Mike Madrid. You are you are my flight attendant right now. I would like How about a pilot. Of- How about pilot? Because I can't see your face unless I'm a oh. terrorist and I break oh. down. The- then that's not good. The whole then the whole the whole metaphor doesn't work. And then I'm the bad guy. And then well, would you good. like a bag of peanuts or pretzels, son? I, mean, I well, I'm worried that the person next to me can't have nuts, so I would take the pretzels. But yes, but it's a good thing though. Like you know, I I'll think of a better metaphor someday. But for right now, you're my pretty. That's so terrible. I just did that pretty. I just mean all flight attendants, women, men can be pretty. Okay, I'm gonna go down a rabbit hole now. I'm gonna stop. But you're calm in the storm because the storm of everything that you see like people like me can get you know freaked out and feel terrified that this rapist is gonna be back in the white house but like i need to take a breath and listen to you know the very reasonable things that you're saying and then i have to go back to also like there's this thing that i think i just don't understand what republicans would think donald trump has to offer anyone who's not just that Core, that MAGA core, like what messages are they thinking he's going out there and selling to independents who, by the way, have also identified that saving democracy, protecting democracy is their number one issue. Like what what is what is the Republican Party's calculus here? Why would how have we gotten back to this place where that's their candidate? I just don't understand that. I'll never understand that. And it's a great question. And I'm going to try to answer it as a campaign professional, because um Something very unique did happen in 2016, which was, you know, Donald Trump won by losing uh, and, and by subtraction. There's an old saying in politics and campaigns, which is you win by addition. In other words, you've got to keep bro- appealing to a broader audience. Donald Trump won by doing the exact opposite, literally. And how did he do that? He did it because that we have this thing called the Electoral College. Mm-hmm. Right? And he was able to energize his base enough. And his base is monolithically situated in most red states that could give him the combination to get to the right numbers he needed to get to 270. So he literally, literally won by losing votes. Remember, he won by the time, at that time, a historic share of the popular vote. He was trying to to create a bigger loss in the popular vote to increase his numbers in the Electoral College. It's kind of an ingenious, if, if diabolical, plan. So so here's the problem. When you do that, you start to cement attitudes about the party that are very bad with every other demographic except for the people that you're exciting. Right. So women, the gender gap now is getting it's 20 points now. Like I've never seen the gender gap that big. Women are just fleeing the you know the, the Republican party. You stressed this to me over and over again. You saw it before Dobbs, you saw it during Dobbs. You're like, "Mike, you're still missing it. Maybe I am." All I'm saying is this: the numbers are starting to show this gap, right? And but remember, re- and remember, women were leaving the the Republican Party before Dobbs. This is not a new trend; it's just kind of accelerated it. But it started with Donald Trump's election. So 
we've got a trend line now. Like three of the last three elections, Republican women are saying, I'm tapping out. I'm out of here. I'm done. And but you're seeing this rightward shift of Hispanic men and African-American men who don't feel comfortable in the Democratic Party, mainly because of the media that they're consuming, I would suggest and argue. And it's driven largely by culture. It's not economic uh, concerns. In some cases it is. But by and large, there's this culture war waging. And that's why the Republicans can't help themselves for going after Taylor Swift Mm. or Bud Light or critical race theory or all these stupid, you know, things that the average normal person who is not hooked up to a Fox IV drip Mm. is going like, what the hell are they even talking about? (laughs) But with their own base, when you are already primed, let me let me put it this way bring it back to this guy yesterday. If you're if you're like borderline willing to cut your dad's head off because he works for the federal government, you are of the type that's going to believe that Taylor Swift is an agent of the Pentagon, right? She's a she's a psyop. Like that there that's how far gone millions of people in our country are. So if you if you approach this rationally, you're missing the the plot line. Like we're already way down that rabbit hole. And and for a lot of these people, they just can't get out anymore. The good news is we're seeing data enough, not a lot, but enough of these voters leaving and saying, I'm tapping out. I'm, I can't do this anymore. This party has absolutely lost its mind. Which, again, you're, some of your takeaways from New Hampshire and Iowa were related to that, too. And some of the clips that I saw that you shared as well were Republicans saying if if Trump's the nominee, I, I'll either not vote or I'm going to vote for Biden, which is a kind of a shocking statement to make. But but that's where a lot of them are. And and I think January 6th still has something to do with that. But I want to talk about also, I mean, there's this funny the, this, this disconnect, too, that the disconnect is also that Taylor Swift can be a psyop, but that Donald Trump is somehow devout and a patriot. Like if they literally live in the upside down, it's just everything is completely mixed up. It's not surprising. It's like their minds are made out of jello. But um, yeah, it was kind of what was I going to say there? Um, with, I was going to have a thing and I was going to say a thing and then it was part of that thing. But um, crap, it was there. But I, yeah, so they, they, they completely, they, their sense of reality is all skewed. But I, I just, how do they see this, this like this holding on to the base? There's not enough of them now, are there that they're that they think that the calculation is that they can take just that just the the dwindled base as it is and translate that on a national scale when the trends you said like even in this past november you know in ohio and i think even idaho and here in jersey which has been kind of leaning a little redder lately which is a little too close for comfort like how do they think that translates again into electoral success on a national level i don't I mean, even despite what they did in 2016, I don't. They have fewer numbers now, right? Yeah, exactly. Yes. Now, here's what's going to happen. Okay, we're recording this in late January. Nikki Haley is still around. She's going to get uh, beat pretty good in South Carolina, her home state. Mm. Okay, but but not not if she gets over 20 percent, she should continue. And here's why. And I think she will. Most of Nikki Haley's support base in the Republican Party now is is overwhelmingly anti-Trump. It's not pro-Nikki Haley. Right. These are Republicans who are saying, no, nope, we're against them. And we're going to stand up and say that. Contrast this to four years ago in late January, early February, when the Lincoln Project was just getting started. And I'm looking at the data and there were six, seven percent of Republicans 
saying and polling, I'm not voting for Trump. This is right before the first impeachment hearing. The first impeachments happened in February of 2020, 2020, I'm sorry. Okay. We are now in 2024, January, and you've got 16, 17% of Republicans saying, I'm done, I'm out. So you're never going to get to a majority of the Republicans saying that. But as I've been trying to counsel people for four years, you don't need everybody. You need enough. You don't even need a lot. You just need enough. And Donald Trump, I would argue, is three times weaker than he was four years ago this time heading into an election that he lost. Yeah. Okay. As an incumbent. So that's, again, why I feel good about the fundamentals, as I call them, about the race. But here's where it gets, I think, even better for Biden. Yeah, the economy is getting better and that's going to help, but it's uh, people aren't voting on the economy anymore. Look at the 2022 midterms. There are three things that are going to bring Donald Trump down. Abortion rights, reproductive rights, Dobbs, one, right? And you're already seeing Biden and Kamala going hard at this as they should, and you're seeing the, the gap get bigger. The second, insurrection, like you said, J6. You heard a lot of, of anecdotal response from Republicans in New Hampshire saying, that was the moment. I was done. That was like when the fever swamp broke and everything that the Democrats and the independents and the media were saying rang true. They were saying he's going to overthrow the government. They're saying he's violent. He did. It happened. It's real. And the third, which I think is a real undervalued stinger at this point, is all the, the indictments, hmm. legal problems. Over half of all voters, not just Democrats or Republicans, all voters are saying they will never vote for Donald Trump if he's convicted of these felonies. He's got a huge court docket. So his numbers, as we're starting to see in the last week, his numbers are going to start weakening. They're going to start coming down. And this is where, for the Republican Party, the internal civil war is going to get really bad because Haley is not going to drop out. She's saying it till Super Tuesday. I think she should take it to convention. Because there's a very, the way that I don't think Nikki Haley wins this convention of uh, this, this nomination. I've been saying that for forever. There's no lane besides Trump, but if there is an outside shot and it's extremely outside, I'm not making any predictions here, folks, but I want you to listen and give me, give me a, give me a hearing. The only way is if Donald Trump is tanking so badly by the time the convention comes around in June, July, that she's got enough delegates to be in second position. Mm. That that is her best shot. She's not going to win this in, in the winner take all states in the Republican primary. But if she continues to stay over 20 percent, she is the best positions to take the mantle from a Republican Party that is completely imploded by June or July. And it's three issues, Dobbs, insurrection and indictments. I I fully agree with you. That is, it is an interesting concept to the idea of her hanging in there until convention. I think, I think what I heard in the past before he, before the pudding cup fellow dropped out is that that was his calculus, that he was, that they were planning on him kind of just hanging around long enough to get to this place where Trump had imploded to the point where he was like, okay, I'm going to come in now. And, and this is my moment. And Nikki Haley doing that, though I am not a fan of hers, as you very well know, and I, everyone listening should very much know, um, I don't want her and don't expect her to ever ascend to the presidency. But I will say that right now, and I've written about this publicly, like I think she is one of the best weapons in our arsenal because finally she'll reverse course on this, of course, if given the chance and the necessity is there, finally is admitting that the sky is in fact above our heads and not below our feet, right? Like she's she's not seeing unicorns and puppies anymore. She's calling Trump out increasingly so on his, you know, 
I would say mental acuity along with everything else, she needs to go harder, I would say for sure. And I encourage her to do that. I think if there ever was a spot or a potential for her to actually turn herself around in the eyes of everybody on, on the left, she could do that now. She really could. Not so much that she'd be president, but enough that maybe she'll get a cabinet post or something like that. Um, or like a, you know, some kind of ambassadorship or something, whatever. Nikki, I'm, I'm hoping. Or, or, or just be able to pick up the ashes of the yeah. party as they exist. True. When, when it blows up, when it's just annihilated. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I mean, I, people who voted for Trump twice in my family, who I very much know, even though we've never talked about this, that they would vote for Nikki Haley right now. I don't know what they'll do if she's not the nominee, but that's an interesting question. Is, is there another, what's beyond MAGA and Trump? What does the Republican Party look like? I mean, I, 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 I mean, I can tell you my own answer, which for me, and I'm still a registered Republican I'm the, for, for very different reasons, the Republican Party can never reconstitute what it once was. It's just it's been too damaged. It's too it's and I don't want to be in coalition with the people that supported this. Right. Like, right. The 90 percent of people that backed this whole ni- American nightmare. Like, I don't want to work with these people. They've already shown me who they are. Right. Yeah. So so I don't know what the answer to that is. I do think it will le- lead to a very different era in American politics. But again, what I want people to really understand and, and, and hopefully find some comfort in, and again, there's a million, million things are going to happen between now and the election. There's a million things that are going to happen between now and convention, mm-hmm. okay? But here's what is quantifiably true, measurably true. One, Donald Trump is considerably weaker now amongst Republicans than he was in 2020, an election that he lost, okay? That is quantifiably, undeniably true. No credible pollster could ever possibly say that that's not the case. That is that is true. The second is the prognosis for both candidates are heading in different directions. The economy is getting better. The stock market is setting all-time highs. Uh, Biden has the opportunity to take the offense on things like the border, right, where Republicans are like, don't they don't know what to do, right? Like, don't do anything because if we don't that. do anything and, and the problems are really, really bad, then Donald Trump, you know, it's better for Donald Trump politically. Like the American people, you can get away with that for a week. Yeah. You can't do that for, for eight months. Yeah. Okay? So they've got a real quandary. Donald Trump's trajectory, he, he could lose his business this week. <laughs> today. Like he, today. I mean, he, yeah. he could lose it all right yeah. now. I don't, I don't think the courts will come out that way. That's a 
George Conway discussion for you on the podcast. I'm like, <laughs> legal time, I'm not a lawyer. But what I will say is, it's not going to be good for Trump. Whatever happens is not going to be good. And this isn't even the real heavy stuff that started for him yet. Like, the big stuff is coming. This is just the country realizing this guy's poor. He's a fraud. He's broke. And he's been living on borrowed money that he fraudulently got for many, many years. All of that narrative is going to start bringing his numbers down while the escape hatch for Republican donors or Republican voters starts to get smaller because the primary is going to start getting stacked up. And that's why you had this big meeting of Republican donors in Palm Beach, Florida, is the donors know that. They're like, look, we're not going to fund a, a dumpster fire. If <laughs> Trump is, look, Quinnipiac just came out today. It's the first national poll showing Biden with a lead. He's going to get stronger. Now, it's not the only poll. There are others that are showing him tightening up, again, better with independents, better with Democrats. But you're going to see in the next four, five, six weeks as Trump's legal problems get bigger, as the Taylor Swift attacks continue from the Republican Party, intransigence on the border, the economy is getting better. Like, you want to be Biden right now. You want to be Joe Biden. And I'm not saying, I'm not making any predictions now other than to look at the data and say, the trajectory of this race is much better than it was in 2020. And I haven't even mentioned the fact that Joe Biden's an incumbent. It's extremely, it's extremely difficult to beat an incumbent. Mm -hmm. And so as the guy who was sitting in the chair doing the data and analytic work for the Lincoln Project and saying, here's the roadmap and how we're going to win this thing, it was a very small, narrow, thin goat path that we were going down to win. There's a very discernible, bigger lane that I think we can get even wider as we're heading into into this election cycle. Uh, well, let me have two questions, actually, because the difference here between now and 2020, obviously, is that we don't have COVID lockdowns now. Um, I don't know what quantitatively how that impacted the number of people who voted. One would assume that it increased the number of people who voted just sh but surely by the fact that they were both home and had access that was easy to vote. I mean, I don't know about that. I guess it's portion one of that question. And then the second question part of that question is about the border. Because you've identified with me repeatedly, which I think is interesting because it's not my top of mind issue, but that this could potentially be an issue that Biden could flip on its head in terms of switching the narrative on how Democrats talk about that issue, because that issue is number one, by the way, I think, for Republicans is the immigration. Um, and Biden has an opportunity now with Greg Abbott down there playing, you know, at, at cosplay Alamo by not uh, following the Supreme Court. So, uh Okay, two things, right? So the first part was um, uh, now my brain is listening. My brain is losing it. Let's go to the, let's go to the border first. Okay. And what you think Biden should be doing that Biden's not doing? I also want to talk about the fact that, like you said, Republicans in Congress now is like ball washers, like Mike Johnson, yes. have decided that they're not going to move bipartisan legislation on the border because he doesn't want them to. So he's basically saying, this, like the guy who said he wants the stock market to crash, is saying, I want this crisis to continue because that helps me. Yeah. Great questions. Okay. So if you if you look at the polling, the weakest issue that Joe Biden has at this point right now is, is on the border and in immigration. And, and this is an issue that I've been closely working on for 30, 30 years. You, you said it earlier. I can say it again. It's been a long time. I've worked on this issue for a long time. Mm. And the, the the thing about this issue is it's the one issue that brings that will bring Democrats over to vote for Republicans. In the same way, abortion is the one issue that will bring Republican women to come over and vote for Democrats. 
And I saw that in Prop 187 30 years ago this year in 1994 in California. And I've seen it throughout the Southwest. And as these states get more and more immigrants, more and more Hispanic, the Latinization of America, as I call it, you start to see a lot of these issues start to take shape and take form. This is a very big weakness for Biden, but it also is an extraordinarily huge opportunity where I think he could essentially lock up the presidential race in the next couple of months. I wrote a piece in the New York Times saying this. That, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, wait a second, what, you know, what is this? And the argument is basically this. Latino public opinion has shifted on this issue considerably. It's very difficult to actually discern the difference between Latino voters and all voters on the border. Latinos want the border fixed, okay? They don't want alligators. They don't want, you know, people shooting people, but they they see that this is 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 a very significant, very significant problem. In fact, it's almost, like I said, it's very, just two or three points differentiate Latinos between all voters on this. Biden should take the offense on this issue in a way Democrats have not been able to politically or willing to because of their voter base. And if he's able to take this issue away, he's there's a lot more votes with Latinos that he's been losing with. And remember, this rightward shift of losing Latinos, most of it has been happening on the border. It's in the Rio Grande Valley. It's in southern New Mexico. It's in southern Arizona. Latinos that live on the border are saying and screaming, this is a problem, fix the problem. If he fixes the problem or even starts to go on offense on this, he starts to lock up all of those votes. That's one. Two, as much as Democrats are uncomfortable going on the offense on this issue, Republicans are way more uncomfortable being on defense on this issue. And you're seeing that play out, right? Mike Johnson's like lighting his hair on fire and like running in circles and going, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. Everything he asked for, they're going to give me. What do I do? We don't really want this problem fixed. Yeah. It's like when Bill Clinton cut the peace deal with Yasser Arafat and says, okay, this is what you want. You're getting everything. I'm delivering Israel. You get everything. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. Wait a second. I don't want that. I don't, no, no, no. It's like, that's what you wanted. That's where the Republicans are at right now. And that story doesn't end well for them because if they're saying and they've been hyping everybody up, you know, and and and, and again, this this Fox IV drip of just constant immigration invasion, we're going to be killed because of all these people coming across the southern border. And Biden goes out there and says, let's fix it today. Pass the bill and I'll sign it today. And the Republicans are like, no, that's not good ground for them to be on. And if, if Biden is willing and capable and he's increased, He's getting there because he sees it and he knows it. And the Senate Republicans have, have basically blessed it. It may not come to the floor right now, but the longer this becomes intractable and the more Biden is running on offense, the more you're going to start to see the Republican House numbers become in serious jeopardy. Republican Senate, the Senate map gets more complicated and Trump's numbers start to really crater and collapse, especially as 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 you know, the, the drumbeat of war starts to bang all over the globe. People want this problem fixed, and Biden saying, "I'll fix it. Give me a bill. I'll sign it today. You can go on your theater with impeaching Mayorkas, whatever you want to yeah. do. You're not fixing anything." And the right. American people are going to start seeing that really quickly if they aren't already. Well, and then we're talking about one of the least productive Congresses in history. I think they're the least productive Congress since the Great Depression. I mean, they're literally like a do-nothing Congress. I think they passed like had 20-something things signed into law, three of which were like uh, renaming things and like minting a coin or something. I mean, they, they already are, are are forever tethered to that bat and the 
of course, McCarthy and his ouster. And then, of course, it's going without a speaker for like three weeks or something. I mean, they already have this track record of doing nothing. And they never had to say out loud, we're doing nothing. But this border situation is like an example of where they have to say, Mike Johnson has to say, oh, yeah, he's giving us everything we want. No. But that's why he's trying to go with this new zero, zero illegal immigrants can cross. And if it's zero, I, I'll sign it. We'll, we'll, we'll pass it. And it's like, you know, I think he's thinking of it as his like son as being his accountability partner for porn on his phone. It doesn't work like that, Mike. <laughs> it just doesn't. But I mean, yeah, the, I think I think because I think Biden has come out and he has said, and you and I have talked about this, too. He did say, I'll sign it tomorrow. But you said it's a letter. It wasn't forceful enough. It wasn't the optics weren't there. He needs to be more aggressive. He needs to go somewhere that's symbolic, whether that's the border or something. He needs to make this a big thing. Um it maybe it'll come up at the city union. I would assume that it will. But yeah, it will. yeah, he's he's not going on the offense as much as he probably should. And and like you said, they don't know how to be on the defense, but they don't want to lose this issue because it's the only issue they have. Exactly, exactly. Which which this, so they're Joe. That's exactly right. This is the only issue they have. If they give Biden this bill, give. If they give Biden this bill, he um, you know, what, what are they going to talk about? Abortion? Like We're a right. national abortion ban? <laughs> what are you going to talk about, right? right? Good luck running on that. Yeah. So that's why Biden needs to hit the gas, like hit him in the face and then hit him in the face again and again and every day hit him in the face because at some point they will go to the Oval Office and say, uncle, <sighs> I'll, I'll tell you, what, we'll give you what you want. Give us a little bit of a gracious out. Mm. Let us take some credit for something and we'll give you the bill tomorrow and we'll give you the money for Ukraine. That will happen. And Biden's been around long enough to know this. His people know this. Yeah. They're going to get it. The question is, how much pain are the Republicans going to take while they're sending, you know, these crazy clown convoys, you know, of, of, of people down there to do whatever it is that they're going to do? Or worse, they want to have this Orville Faubus standoff, you know, where Eisenhower has to send in, you know, it, by the way, Eisenhower has to, to activate the Insurre Insurrection Act to send federal gov federal troops in there to knock off the weekend warriors at the National Guard in the Arkansas, you know, schoolhouse to integrate those schools. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that weird detour, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Biden ought to just in the optics of that are great. You know, reinstitute the Insurrection Act, send in the feds, clean this up, demand a bill, and say we're going to stop and we're going to do this the right way. You're not going to have a revolution. As much as we'd like you to secede, Texas, you're not going to secede. Right. You want to go. You want to go play Alamo. Go play Alamo, but don't do it here. <laughs> like the adults are going to run this country. As yeah. much as you guys need something else to be pissed off about, the Super Bowl's coming up in a couple of weeks. Get pissed <laughs> off at Taylor Swift. This is real stuff. Yeah, and and they really don't want to lose this issue because they because they lost Roe because what Dobbs did to them right was that this expression that I'm new to which is the dog catching the car yeah. that's what right so that's what Dobbs did to them it took it flipped the entire fight so right we I personally can admit I was complacent on that issue in the past because I was like it's fine it's settled right. law it's yeah. fine so I wasn't out fundraising for it, talking about it every day my daughter was safe she had all the same rights I did and then Dobbs. And then they were fundraising like fuck off this damn thing, and then they they do it. It it happens, and the the whole script is flipped now. But this is this so is that, issue. Th this is this is so important, and you've really tapped into this. That's exactly what's going on here. Is the Republicans need a border crisis to get away from Dobbs? Yeah, that, because that's the the only thing that will bring all the women that they brought back. And I'm not saying all of them. I won't ever say that. 
my razor wire brings it's, all the ladies to the bar and they're like <laughs> it's the fear of rapists and drug dealers and criminals especially black and brown ones coming across the border like that's going to scare a lot of suburban women back into the GOP that's why they're doing it that's why and if if they solve the problem it's going to go right back to Dobbs and abortion which they know they're going to get slaughtered on so again Biden has a ton of leverage right now, a ton, and they're starting to use it. They're going to use it. I wrote that piece in the New York Times because I want to give him the cover to say Latino voters support Biden moving uh, in that direction. So if Latino voters are with you, I know there's a lot of voices in Washington, D.C. that have built their 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 fortune, their money, their contracts, their title, their White House invitations to Christmas parties on on being that position. But Biden needs to transform this coalition and make it bigger, get reelected, change and, and broaden the Obama-Biden coalition, solve the border and make sure that Ukraine gets funded. He can do all of that, all of that with one fell swoop. I wanted to talk about Ukraine, too, because I think that's getting so overshadowed in this conversation. And I think that feeds right into that protecting democracy theme that is so prevalent among the polling, the Quinnipiac polling, because it's I, I know that they're really probably just talking about protecting democracy in the United States. But I do think that there is a bigger idea of protecting democracy in Europe and not letting Putin advance any further. And I think that we've abandoned that conversation a lot. Not everyone, but even Senate Republicans who are like war and hawks like Lindsey Graham are using that as a wedge issue to give Trump what he wants. And by virtue of that fact, Putin what he wants. Um, I feel like I, I hope that that Biden hits this harder, too, because I feel like that needs to be more a part of a conversation. But I'm curious, from your perspective, from a numbers perspective, where does the electorate fall on that issue? Where do the numbers break? So this is concerning because there is no bigger issue or threat to our times than the war in, in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And as you know, I, you know, Ron Stessel and I went to Ukraine 90 days after the war broke out, right when Nancy Pelosi was there as speaker. We went to Ukraine. We were helping uh, Zelensky and some of his folks in their cyber warfare uh, messaging campaign. So I, I was in downtown Kiev on May Day. I, I was there, you know, when people were trying to figure out what the the assault was. And, and I went there because that war will determine, I, I genuinely believe this, how successful the United States is going to be, not only in this election, because if, if, if Vladimir Putin gets Trump elected, um, you will see NATO collapse. You will see a stronger Iran and you will see Taiwan invaded. That all, all of that will happen within six months. And we will keep saying America's not going to get involved in these wars. Or we're America first, let the world burn around us when it's really just the doing, the bidding of of, of Vladimir Putin. Okay. So here's the big deal. This is why I brought up my being in Ukraine. At that time you had 75, 85% of Americans supporting the, the war effort. What they all said was, don't forget about us, because the whole world knows that once America's attention gets focused somewhere else, we will lose funding. We don't want your soldiers. We don't want your boots on the ground. We will fight this war. And if we are outmanned 10 to 1, we will win this war. If you give us the bullets to fight, we will keep them off of our land and we'll keep Russia away from invading Poland. That was those were all the conversations we had is please don't let the American people forget. Now, of course, we'd go back to the hotel and there's a Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. You know, suddenly American attention's chasing the next shiny thing. 
And that's the biggest threat is as people aren't focused on what Russia is doing in Ukraine and as all these other skirmishes break out around the world and we have all these domestic problems, is support starts to get thinner. It doesn't mean people are anti-Ukraine. It means that when the Republicans start saying message or, or they start messaging saying spend more money here on, on our priorities here, that sentiment gets stronger. So most Americans still support the Ukrainian effort. The question becomes, are we willing to commit the money that is going to be required to finish this war? And this latest round, this fight that we're having over immigration in Ukraine is extremely critical because this is the money that will keep Putin tied down through the election, which is why the Republicans don't want to pass the bill. Because if if Russia's on the offense, Putin can start spending more money in our elections and exacerbating divisions in the United States, which is the ultimate goal. That's the best way he can win is by making sure America is divided. If he's on the defense, he's going to have to fight his more immediate priorities. That's why the Republicans don't want to give uh, these freedom fighters the money. And that's why it's so important that we get a deal done. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I mean, who was it that said all roads lead to Putin? Was it Hillary? Was it was it Nancy who said that? Somebody. Whoever said, said it was absolutely right. They're and all it's, right. You know, when you when you really, it's like when you look at this in in its totality, and you're thinking, there's all these bad actors out there on social media, in particular, using that to spread the disinformation, flood the zone with shit, as the sloppy Steve Bannon has said in the past, and making Americans take their eye off the prize, see the shiny new thing, but the shiny new thing is fear and. And it's all rolled into how does this benefit Vladimir Putin, really? And we're back to 2016 all over again. And and it's 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 pretty crazy that we're here again in 2024 when he's real because he's a very tenacious fellow. He's not just going to like abandon ship when he's really got a he's got a little bit of a, a whole finger hold on it now. And he's got his puppet in Trump and then Trump's got his own lackeys and puppets in Mike Johnson and Lindsey Graham and Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio. By the way, do you think that he has something on them? Because Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham in particular, Ted Cruz is a feckless fuck. But Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham, Marco, start with Marco. And I know I'm already in an hour, but like uh, Marco Rubio, he to me has done the biggest sort of flip-flop 180. Yeah, because he, he, he yeah, uh, yes. I mean, look, when, when the history of this chapter in, in America is written, 
we are going to be horrified by the amount of influence the Russians exerted simply because of money. If you're watching what's happening with the NRA and Wayne LaPierre, you know, Wayne LaPierre is in deep, deep shit right now, as he should be. But it's because the Russians flooded the NRA with millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And all of those millions and millions and millions of dollars went to go give Republican legislators absolutely everything they want. So they became creatures of of him. And what the Russians were very smart about doing was finding nonprofit organizations like the NRA, where you don't have to report money coming in various channels that can be used to either augment people's lifestyles, get compromised by, you know, having an event in Vegas and some girls show up or, you know, just, they know they're things, keying on you. Things just happen, right? Mm-hmm. That's that is the Russian strategy. And it has worked brilliantly, not just the United States. It's worked all over Western Europe and in democracies throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Remember, what is happening here in the United States isn't isolated. It's happening all over the, 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 the world, certainly the free world. And it's because the Russians have been making investments since at least 2014 when, when Putin invaded Crimea. Mm-hmm. That's when this global conflict started. And folks, it's a global war. We're in the middle of a global war. This is I, the, the Republican versus Democratic fight is extremely important, extremely but don't think that that's the only thing that's going on. This is about two sides on the planet trying to find advantage by screwing with each other's politics. Mm, I mean, uh, and it's it's very interesting because, like you said, the rest of the free world, I don't know if you saw this, you probably, I'm sure you did, but there was that massive protest in Germany where they, because their country too, is, is starting to, to, you know, they're uh, Nazi curious again. And it's like, you know what, guys, wake up. No, 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 no. And this massive like response to that was, we are not going back there. But that is the push. And I, I mean, I, I, you would probably know better. I'm sure Putin's finger. hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, look at the, the reason why Germany was so slow to get involved in Ukraine and helping them out was because all of their former parliamentarians and uh, members of parliament were were bought off by Vladimir Putin. They're all Russian lobbyists. And like I said, there's so much money that the Russians have infused into Western democracies to buy influence and power and corrupt our organizations, he's brought us to our knees. And it's the smartest strategy, as smart as we have been by using basically budget dust to take out half of Russia's military capacity, incredibly smart investment to fund the Ukrainians to fight that war. The Russians have been even smarter by the hundreds of millions of dollars that they've thrown at K Street in Washington at, 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 at compromising um conservative social media influencers, including probably some of the big media companies that will shall remain nameless. But all of this is about doing Putin's bidding. There's no ideological rationale for it that helps America. This is all about doing our enemies' uh, interests. And when you think about the fact, when you think about the fact that the greatest generation, you know, are those those who fought World War II, those who stormed the beach at Normandy to bring this full circle, when you think about what it was that those young men and boys went over there and died for, the fact that here we are, you know, in 2024, which is not a long time span, really. I mean, there are still World War II vets who are walking among us right now. The fact that some of them could cast a vote for speaking of getting down on your knees for the guy who gets down on his knees for Putin all the time. It's just, again, I've asked everybody I've ever talked to, and we talked about it too, I, I will never understand how they can cast that vote, I'll never, I'll never understand it. Well, just remember, there the, a lot of this is psyops. This is not rational thinking. Yeah, it's many, many years of indoctrination and propaganda. The Russians are very, very good at it. They've done it to their own 
population. They've involved themselves in other democracies. This is a big part of a very long-term, like I said, 2014, a 10-year effort and multi-multi-billion dollar campaign to influence and indoctrinate the American public and to bring it full circle to where we started, a wide swath, half of the American public has essentially been radicalized and indoctrinated with these beliefs. And that's why this irrational behavior is popping up is because it's not rational at all. Yeah. Which is also, I mean, again, a bolster to us to say, like, you know, we're the majority, as you said, and and these are things we know as a majority of Americans we don't want. We want to reject and we have an opportunity. We have the maybe last opportunity we'll ever have to reject this in full force. Not that it, well, might come up, keep coming up. But this, I mean, if we don't do it now, we won't have a chance to stop it again. That's like not hyperbole to say, really. I don't. It's I, I not. Just, no. In fact, I'll, I'll take a step further. I'll say we have an obligation yeah. to fight because yeah. Because what we have today was paid for in the blood of those soldiers on Normandy and Guadalcanal and, and you know, the Mekong Delta. And this is this is what we have right now is what Lincoln said, again, to bring a full circle is, you know, we will never be defeated by a force outside of us. We will only be defeated if we lose it internally. We are we are if we become our worst enemy, we will destroy ourselves far faster, more efficiently than any any external threat could. And we're starting to see the, the signs of that right now. Yes. And I will say, because I, I tend to be an optimist, which is weird, but, and then we're going to get to my random questions. But like, I I also find this is such an interesting intersection of time, of moment in time, of collision, because I also feel like we, the people, we, I you know how I feel about this country. Like, I know we're not perfect, but I really do believe that we're special. And, and I know I get knocked for that all the time. That's fine. I, my dad was an immigrant who came here. He believed this country was special. He built himself a life where I was able to, you know, live a, a life of, of of somewhat of privilege. And and my dad believed this country was special. He instilled that belief in me, and I did too. And I think ultimately we're special enough. Our resolve is strong enough. Um, our, our our appreciation for democracy and that participation in democracy is strong enough that I do think ultimately, like you do, um, numbers aside, that we will prevail. I really do that we ultimately, like we saw in Ohio with issue one where they were like, wait a minute, you want me to pr- take away my right to participate in democracy? No, thank you. I voted for Trump, but I don't want that. I think ultimately that's what we're going to see here too um, in this election. Uh, look, I, I'm not only do I agree with that 100%, this is going to sound very strange, but I hope people, you know, give, give me a little bit of leash on this. I'm actually grateful for this moment. Hmm. I'm grateful because we have the opportunity to, to meet this moment in American history and American destiny. This is for this generation that has never seen that type of conflict. We were not like the World War II generation. Yes, we had 9-11. Yes, we had the Vietnam War. This is our conflict. We, have, we are coming off 30 years of, of probably one of the longest stretches of, of peacetime, given we had wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. I'm not discounting that. But we are oftentimes a victim of the fact that we were a global hegemon, that we were the sole world power, and a generation or two of us has forgotten what that struggle and conflict has looked like for the 20 previous generations. This is our moment. We are going to rise to it. We are rising to it. And the thing about conflict, think about your own individual life, when you struggle you realize and figure out who you are and you fight for that and you become that and you instill a civic pride and virtue that has been missing in America. 
and we are going to value our freedoms, value our constitutional protections, and value our republic more after this than we did before and during it. And that's the beauty because a people like that, that have that civic virtue, we can hand it off to the next generation. So it's not fun. It's not, it's not easy, but it's not supposed to be. There is no end game where America just reaches the end. You know, this, <laughs> this is it. We're America forever. You win. No. It, yeah. Th that's not how it works, folks. It works because every generation has to fight for it. So when you get exhausted, when you get scared, when you get overwhelmed, I'm going to implore you to use every ounce of, of what you've got, like a soldier did on D-Day in Normandy, to take that next step and keep pushing the American idea forward because that's our calling. This is our moment. And we're, we, we are blessed to be able to fight for this gift at this moment in time. And uh, thankful. That's why I'm grateful for, for you, Joe, uh, because you, you rallied so many people and so many hundreds of thousands of people that um, your impact is showing and we're going to need you in the coming months. Wow. Um, First of all, I almost cried 10 times during that. And second of all, I would like to just um, like get an edit of that, what you just said, that's that like speech. And and I think that put it on a poster, I don't, I put it on a t-shirt, I'll tattoo it on my butt. I don't care. <laughs> I don't need to look in my butt. But if I, if it means that you're going to move in and participate in this democracy, um, please then look at my butt. I'm sorry in advance. But it, but, but it was, you just said it all. You just said it all. Like you said it all. And all I, I would want to cry a million times because I do believe that we didn't, we took it for granted, not you, not many of us took it for granted that democracy was like gravity and it was just always going to be there and we didn't do anything to protect it. And all of a sudden people were like, sorry, we're going to, we're going to take that right away and we're just going to, and it's like, oh fuck, wait, shit, I got to wake up. It's too late. Is it too late? Is it too late? Did I miss it? And it's a living, breathing thing. The country is always evolving and changing and growing. And, and I think, like, as long as we understand now that, like, you can't just leave a plant, you know, to die because you just believe it's going to live forever. You have to nurture it and constantly water it and do the things that plants need. And America's not a plant, but it, you know what I mean? Um, but yes. So, and as for me, the thing that, about what you just said at the end of what you said about my personal life um, and why my understanding of like struggling and how what that has done for me as a human being and the journey that i i've personally gone through from being at the absolute bottom like bottom not being able to afford food people dropping food off at my door to be my kids in secret so they didn't know and getting here and be like i have to do something and i i have to fight and i have to get other people to feel like they need to fight because we face the darkest hour and so we know we'll never go back there. And this is one of our darkest hours. I mean, relative to anything yeah. I've ever experienced in my life. And so we are not, I am not, you are not, we are not going to just stop because we can't. And I ain't going to lose to these guys. Fuck that. But right? I'm not losing to those guys. <laughs> yeah, if we're going to lose, I ain't going to be the guys like that. Right? <laughs> As Ferris Bueller once famously said, and I'm not losing to those guys. Like, right. No, no. No, it's not the way this. Oh. Not the way this ends. It doesn't end at you know Taylor Swift. You know <laughs> halftime show in the Super Bowl. <laughs> no, we're, uh, we're going to have a Taylor Swift halftime show for America. By the way, just side note before I get into this, the last bit, which is very fast. Did you see? I found this very interesting. 
Donald Trump, I don't know if they, I don't know if Angoran has come down with the verdict yet, but the 370 that Letitia James, Letitia, 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 that she's seeking is exactly the same amount of money that Taylor Swift made off of her merch and concert ticket sales that made her a billionaire. What are the chances? Awesome. Right? Make that up. Yeah. I know. I, I'm sure there's a conspiracy theory coming out on that one. <laughs> yeah, yes. right. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Democrats are so powerful that they were able to essentially plot the ascension of a pop star 10 years out. <laughs> like that's they should probably be in charge of everything. If they can if they can go to that level of I mean, that's like, what's amazing about these conspiracy theories. If anyone could pull this off, I mean, do you think that this is where the country would be at? Like if somebody could actually orchestrate all this stuff, things would be 10 times better. <laughs> but it's all happening while the guy can't tie his shoes and lives in his basement. What? Yeah. Okay. Um, it is truly unbelievable, but I, I, I will segue from the unbelievable quickly to the totally random rapid fire question round, Mike Madrid. You are up. Are you ready? I think. Okay. You got me nervous now. These are very serious questions and the implications can um, change the history. So be, you know, have that in the back of your mind somewhere. If squirrels could talk, what would they say? I know this is personal for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike has a, please visit his Twitter account. We will see his pinned tweet. Mike has a history with squirrels, but if they could talk, what would they say? And what kind of personalities would they have? Let me, let me say this. Uh, squirrels are like the political consultants of the animal kingdom. <laughs> the, they're, 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 they're varmints, they're rodents, right? But they're, they're kind of lovable. They're like rats with, with good PR as people call them. <laughs> They're they're incredibly smart, clever creatures, and they love to taunt like <laughs> things way bigger than them, like people, dogs. Like how many times have you had your squirrel like taunting in the tree? Like, and they're they're but yeah they they they're they're and again I spent way too much time during the pandemic watching this family of squirrels outside my window, and they, <laughs> All they're like thanks to you. Just a great, great little family guys. Like the dad goes out and gets the orange and brings it back, and they all kind of are munching on an orange with the little ones. But mm-hmm. you know, he's always you know, they're they're troublemakers. They're by by their DNA, they can't help themselves but to to taunt and be funny and clever, um, and get into trouble. But they're also incredibly smart uh, species. So I spend way too much time on 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 squirrel watching and observing. And I've got a real love-hate relationship with them because they mess with me. They mess with me. They do. Mm-hmm. And they outsmart me. Mm-hmm. So it was I'm... one of the best unfolding dramas of all of the pandemic was your squirrel situation. Honestly, people would look for Mike Madrid's squirrel content every day. We were like pins <laughs> and needles. What will this squirrel do next? Um, yeah, I think that there are, I think that you've nailed it. Yep. That I like their PR. <laughs> cute tail they do they look cute and I would the tail goes a long way i mean without a bushy tail squirrel that had like a rat tail like people would not like squirrels that's what she said um <laughs> bushy tail <laughs> talk about bringing it full circle <laughs> um i'd like the bgs to sing bushy tail bushy tail uh okay so um i haven't i'm fine everything's fine everyone just stay tuned i'm gonna get to question two Oh, okay, let's go back in time. Mike, where were you living when you were 12 or 13 years old, by the way, just as I know? Living in a little city in the middle of Ventura County, California, in a city called Moore Park. Okay. What posters were on 12 or 13-year-old Mike Madrid's walls in Ventura, uh, what, Ventura, where was it? Ventura County, California. Ventura County, California. Okay. 
now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> I had a I had a poster of my uh, boyhood baseball hero, as you know how boys and baseball heroes are. No. My, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. Steve Garvey, who's now running for the U.S. Senate as a Trump Republican in California. So uh, talk about, I lost my boyhood hero. Wow. Yeah, Steve Garvey. He's like played with you know, the longest standing, you know, uh, infield and dodge, you know, MLB history. You know, my dad was a huge Gil Hodges fan for you Brooklyn Dodgers fans. And we would talk about, you know, who was the better first baseman? Was it Garvey or Hodges? And, you know, Steve Garvey was just this guy. And, you know, you, you get older and you go through life. And then now I find myself you know, after this career of of fighting, you know, this really bad scourge in our politics, and then my boyhood hero emerges as the Republican Senate candidate running on the ticket. Yeah, that sucks. A little heartbreaking. I Probably not the answer you wanted, but a little ironic, isn't it? It is, because I wouldn't, I didn't even consider that when I wrote the question. Like, I've seen your Twitter feed. I know this is difficult for you to reconcile, because it's just like, I, I didn't know that it was on your wall. I just know that you keep talking about, like, if I had thought that Steve Garvey, like, would have been happier about losing somebody to the Padres or something like that, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm probably geek out on this way too much in the next election. It's like, I mean, he's not going to win the general. Adam Schiff, I think, will be the next senator from California. Yeah. But bottom line is, you know, there's something really heartbreaking about losing something else. I've lost so much by standing up against this thing. I've lost so much business and so much reputation and so so many personal relationships and people just attacking me on fake bullshit and yeah. you know people just running my name through the mud and then. Now my boyhood hero, like like all well, you can take everything from me, right? A little baseball card collection, I don't know. But they gave you squirrels, I and got I squirrels, can, and uh. I can relate because I lost, you know, Randy Quaid. So I can relate. <laughs> I can't believe they took this shit. It was full, and now he's one of them. Um, I didn't mean to, didn't, I didn't mean to, you know, downplay your your losing your childhood hero, but fuck him, right? Fuck him. He probably sucked, and he was on roids. Who knows? Um, or whatever i'm gonna say that because it makes me feel better last question oh mm. if you could clone yourself for one week what's the first thing you would do clone myself for one week clone yourself there's two mike madrids you got a week oh it's like me with a like a another yep. guy yep two or... of you you got sitting in sitting here in your room right now all of a sudden a new a completely intact real size Everything is there. The brain, the, the all the organs, the, the everything is there. He's all the organs. I mean, you can't you can't upgrade them. It's a literal clone, Mike. Okay, okay. It's easy. Okay. You get another Mike Madrid. And what would the two of us go do together? <laughs> or no, you can you can send him out on his own. Okay. You know, you, you don't have to stay together. In fact, I wouldn't recommend it because then people be like, what? But you can stay together. You can do something separate. You can. Send him to Steve Garvey's house to just be like, you fucking suck. And or, you know, or like groceries. I don't know. What are you going to do? You high five. You could play pie cake. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, <laughs> ooh. I, you I don't study yourself first for a few minutes. I, yeah, I got like, that's kind of like horrifying <laughs> for everybody, not just yeah. for me. Like, yeah, you're like, like, I never want to see that. You know, there's two of them. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I I think it would be, I want my immediate reaction is to say I would do like something together, like to see how that would be. But I I, I think about it, I'd probably want to run a campaign against myself mm. to see who would win and who would lose. That's, well, that's like. <laughs> right? Well, because that would be all like, about spin because you're the same guy. So it would be all yeah, I mean, spin. 
Yeah, but I, I like to look at like what the, when the decision point was made that I made that made me lose and win. Mm. I'd run a I'd 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 run a campaign against myself. How's that? Okay. Well, I hope you win, and does the other you <laughs> And if you and I will win, I will guarantee you I will win. There is a there is a one hundred percent chance that Mike Madrid will win. Right. I don't know which one, and and please everyone like if you have that were ever faced with this reality you don't have to look at those places in your body that no one needs to see you know you don't but it's okay i wouldn't i would not recommend it for myself personally so but i wouldn't it's not like you're talking from experience joe that's making me a little bit nervous <laughs> no i don't have one think of that unless i don't know. have a clone although people have said that i i, I i'm like dakota smith yeah johnson johnson <laughs> The, the reason that is Johnson is because yes, I'm very specific about my Johnsons because she's Don Johnson's daughter, and to know what Don Johnson was for someone yeah. my age in yeah. the eighties, yeah, I mean, like Miami Vice was everything, you know. So now I, in some way, am now Don Johnson's daughter. That's that was, yeah, well, it makes perfect sense just because I wanted to have sex with him, but like you know, sounds yeah. Trumpian, sounds strange. <laughs> Ivanka, if you've never talked, oh boy, if you've never talked to Noel Castler, by the way, you need to talk to Noel Castler because he worked on The Apprentice and he tells the stories about Ivanka, like leaning very heavily into like the baby voice, look, daddy. And, like, uh, mm. Yeah. Okay. Well, now yeah. that we have that mental image, we have the under, we have the, the never see regions of my underside undercarriage in your mind and now Trump and Ivanka doing inappropriate things in everyone's mind. So, Mike. You have a podcast yeah. called The Latino Vote. Yeah. How long you had that going on? Uh, Chuck Rocha and I. Chuck was actually uh, Bernie Sanders' campaign manager back in uh, 2016. And, um, you know, in the 2020 election cycle, when I was at the Lincoln Project and, and we were moving Republican votes over and I could see this kind of weakness that Democrats were having with Latinos, I was like, I don't really know a lot of Democrats at this level, but who can I call? And so I called Chuck and I was like, Chuck, are you seeing this? And he's like, yeah, brother, I'm seeing it. And I'm like, it was this weird thing where this, you know, kind of higher level Republican consultant, higher level Democratic consultant who were Latino experts were kind of talking and sharing ideas and what we could do. And after the 2020 election, we decided to kind of continue it. It's like, why don't we just talk about the, the, the community, the Latino vote, the Latino vote podcast, get it anywhere you get your podcasts. Thank you for kicking ass. Thank you for the incredibly inspiring things you said in a couple of different places here. I definitely want to clip those and just keep sharing them because I think that that's what we lose sight of too. And thanks for your optimism. Thanks for yeah, being Thank you for your fight and for what you do. And I'm looking forward to uh, your hosting SNL in the near future. That's the one prediction I'll make. I mean, Becky C's got to be on there somewhere, right? Like she's somewhere. She's her big break. She's she's fixing to make a video today because her cousin Chet, he's part of that trucker convoy. It's well, it's RV convoy. It's really, it's like a minivan convoy, but you know, they've got them truck nuts and Doritos. So, Becky C's fixing to make a video because he wrote her a letter um, and he did or did not say send nudes to his cousin, which is inappropriate. But so that's what she's going to do. But we'll see if I get in the No, never. I mean, I was on it. I'm not going to look, I'm not a star now. Okay, I'm like, I'm just. I think you are. You don't make it to SNL unless you're a part of pop culture. So welcome to the show. You've arrived. And we're looking forward to, like, I think you're just getting started. We're looking to, the country needs your voice. I think our political system needs your voice. Um, the, the stuff you're doing, you know, with, with the White House and and I, you're, you're doing great stuff. I mean, you're just doing great stuff. And you've got to take, take 
a few moments to pat yourself on the back and to kind of just appreciate everything that you've added to this conversation. And uh, I'm grateful for you. Oh my God. Well, now I'm going to cry. But if I had a clone, that clone could pat my other person on the back. But I will say, and again, we're going to wrap this up because it's been a really, I'm sorry, long time. And But but Mike has was one of those people who was there for me when I was at my absolute bottom, worst, most depressed, sad, just didn't see a pathway for oh. any part of my life, for my kids, being able to feed them, being able to provide a house for them. And Mike always said to me, then you're going to be okay. You are you and you're a fighter and you're going to you're going to keep rising and you're going to keep moving and you're going to take each step one day at a time and you're just going to keep moving up that ladder. And and I didn't believe it forever. I was like, you're lying. I can't do it. And you were like, you're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing it. And now here I am like, yeah. interviewing you after being on SNL. And I yeah. just I believe in myself now in large measure because I had people like you in my life that were telling me you can do it. Well, you've got a lot of fans and a lot of support and a lot of people cheering you on. So it's great to see you getting everything you deserve. Thank you, Mike. Same yeah. to you. Let's just let's hope we can get our clones in 2024. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> Steve Farby. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Fuck him. Um, yeah. That concludes this episode of the Are You Effing Kidding Me podcast. Very, very grateful for my friend, Mike Madrid, once again, who I just love desperately and um am so inspired by and so ugh, like reassured by um everybody have an amazing week um hopefully we get a, a verdict on trump's like number in the new york civil case i hope it's big like really big i hope it's 370 and i hope he loses his real estate license but you probably won't but that's fine and um with that said mike again thank you have a wonderful week yourself everybody else I'll see you next week bye guys Bye. Are You Effing Kidding Me? is a production of the Political Voices Network. Please visit us at politicalvoicesnetwork.com. Hold up. 